Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome to 3CR. You're listening to Living Free uh, on Community Radio uh, 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Uh, hi, my name's Bill, and for the next hour, I'll be talking to you about recovery from alcoholism and how support from a 12-step group like Alcoholics Anonymous can make a real difference. I'd like to welcome Molly to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi, <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> Sorry, I hadn't turned your mic on. Um, so Molly's a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and she'll share her experience with alcoholism and how AA has helped her. So Molly, normally what we do when we um, talk to people about their lives um, is sort of go back to, um, to where it all started and you know, when you first realised that there was something about your drinking that was different. So how old were you and, and what sort of led you to that situation where you realised that mm. alcohol did something different for you than it did to other people? Sure. So, I mean, I'd always felt very different growing up to everyone else and um, I'd struggled a lot with mental health growing up and um, had stopped going to school at year eight um, because of my mental health. Um, so by the time I was 15, I was a daily drinker. I was using drugs throughout the day. I was always on something. Um, but I can remember very well the day that I realized that, you know, I couldn't control my drinking. Um, you know, I, would woken up and I decided that I wasn't going to drink this day and I wasn't going to use drugs, um, you know, and I was going to turn my life around and it got to maybe 11 o'clock in the morning and I just started to feel something wrong. I started to feel anxious and and irritable and I remember walking into the bathroom and catching a reflection of myself in the mirror and it terrified me. Um, You know, I um, I was 30 kilos and my eyes were red and my skin was yellow and I had bald patches all over my head and... I, I I had no idea who I was looking at. You know, it was a really, really terrifying experience and, you know, I can't tell you really much of what happened after that, but um, I can say that I picked up a drink and I used drugs and I came to a couple of hours later lying on my bed um, just clenching onto pieces of the mirror covered in blood. Um, wow. And I just realised, you know, I I have no control over this, but you know what, I didn't really care because... I didn't know how to do life without alcohol and I'd prefer to, you know, at that point in my life I would prefer to die um, of a drug overdose than try to live without it. Right. Mm. So how? So you weren't coping with life very well. So you, no. would you consider yourself to be an anxious sort of person? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you dropped out from school though, what, what did your friends think? Did did they? Look, they they were concerned, I think. And um, I remember one of my friends came to visit me one day, and um, I was really, really stoned and drunk, and I couldn't get out of bed. 
And I just remember her walking into my room and she just burst into tears. Yeah. And she was just sitting next to me on my bed, just staring at me, going, what have you done? What are you doing? And I couldn't even talk to her. Um, she didn't come to visit me after that. No. You know, it was, I, people were terrified of me. Um, I wasn't a nice person to be around. No. Yeah. <laughs> Things have changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you said you had weight problems. Mm. So mm. had that? Had you been not eating properly for ages? Yeah. I. I. Well, initially, when I was about twelve or thirteen, I started self harming, and um, when I realised that I, you know, I, I basically ran out of places on my body to hide that. So the next thing I switched to was not eating. Um, right. You know, just before I started drinking, I'd had a hospital admission for anorexia where I was tube-fed and in a very, very critical condition, hooked up to heart rate and what it is and, and fluids and all kinds of things. And, you know, I, I my the doctors had that conversation with my parents that I wasn't going to make it and, you know, it was quite serious. But yeah, Sounds you know, very scary. <laughs> well, it was to everyone else, but to me it was just they don't understand what I'm going through. They should let me do what I want. And the minute I got out, I started drinking. Right. Mm. Mm. Okay. So your, your drinking led to blackouts even that, mm. that early? Yeah. Mm. Wow. Mm. Yeah, it was pretty mm. scary. Yeah. So how did um, – so you're on, you're on drugs and alcohol at that point? Yes. 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 So how did you get off – what did you get off first? The alcohol was first. Yeah. Um, the alcohol got out of my system relatively quickly. Um, I was put into a into a detox um, just before my 16th birthday. Um, I was taken to a children's ward because I was too young for a rehab and at too high risk medically. Um, so they took me off the alcohol first. The drugs took six months to get off. Um I was on a lot and they had to be very careful taking me off it because they were quite worried about cardiac arrest. Right, because you were yep. so I was very, I was very frail and, um, yeah, I was I was not in a, in a good position. Um, when I went into that hospital as well, you know, I was someone who was very violent when I was drinking. Um, I was covered in bruises and scars. I went in and half my face was black and... You know, I had to have a series of brain scans and medical tests done because the doctors were really worried that I would have permanent brain damage. So physically, I was a mess. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> Doesn't sound pretty. No. <laughs> no. Uh, um, and so when you came, when you got off the drugs, mm. what, could you come home? No. No, mm. I... Um, you know, I too much had happened. Um, I can remember being in that hospital and actually booking myself a bus ticket to Sydney because I didn't know where I was going to go and my plan was just to live on the streets. Um, luckily, one of the social workers in the hospital found me um, this shelter that I could go to and I ended up living there for three months. Okay. Yep. Um, so... Did that mean that after that there was nowhere else to go? No, I. it was that or the streets. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate that I had the opportunity to go to the shelter. Right, yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, 
So when you got off the drugs and off alcohol, mm. how, were you, how were you coping, you know, yourself? I was in a mess. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, you know, I think I lasted a couple of days and, um, you know, I just, my logic was that, you know, it was, it was the drugs, you know, it was the drugs that were the problem. You know, everyone uses, everyone drinks, you know, you, everybody has one or two, that's fine. That can't be the thing that's affecting me. So I decided I would just drink wine. You know, like like the normal people in the movies, they have one or two glasses and they look so classy and, you know, they look so normal. And, Mm. you know, what I didn't factor into that was Mm. that, yeah, I have one or two and then it's three o'clock in the morning and despite the fact that I've got my own vomit all over me and I'm having to be showered and put to bed because I can't walk straight, I'm still trying to drink more. Yeah. You know, I don't think about that part. I just think about that first one or two. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard other AAs talk about the fact that they never wanted to have one or two. They no. just wanted to drink. Yeah, this, yeah. No. This idea of one or two is crazy. <laughs> no, I remember I had um, I had half a bottle of vodka left once, and um, I finished that half a bottle, and the emotional pain I felt physically ill. You know, I, the more I drank of this bottle, the thirstier I got, and by the time it was gone, I was an absolute mess. I needed more, and my head was just running a million miles an hour. It was more painful than not having any. You know, I ended up just taking the empty bottle and smashing it across my head until I passed out because <laughs> I could not just have half. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, I I hear that all the time from alcoholics <laughs> that, that a couple yeah. of drinks is crazy. Yeah. Nobody nobody wants a couple of drinks. No. Uh, yeah. um, so... You mentioned earlier that you had a bit of PTSD from, mm. from your treatment in hospitals. So yeah. how did that factor in your life at this point? Uh, I, um, so I, I, I developed the post-traumatic stress in, um, in hospital with my treatment um, for anorexia. Um, when I left there, I was taken to um, the leading psychiatrist for PTSD and eating disorders at the time and... Um, you know, I, I, um, you know, I, I used all kinds of drugs and alcohol to try and block everything out. You know, I, and at the time that's all I thought I was doing. I thought it wasn't a problem because I was just trying to not remember, you know, I was trying to block everything out. It wasn't addiction. It was just trying to cope with this. Um, cope with life. yeah. Yeah. And you know, I was having flashbacks constantly. I was remembering things I didn't want to remember. And that was the only way I knew how to block it out. Um, you know, I, the PTSD just got more and more complicated. You know, this, um, this psychiatrist who was treating me, um, I saw him weekly and he began to isolate me from the rest of my family. You know, he convinced me that, um, you know, I couldn't trust anybody. He was, began giving me drugs and, um, you know, a year later, um, sexually assaulted me, which, you know, it's just added to the trauma and made it incredibly difficult for me to be in reality at all. You know, my drinking got a lot worse. Yeah. 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 Mm. Sounds very challenging. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So the other thing was that, um, you, you grew up in a bit of a dysfunctional family too. Mm. So you mm. didn't have a lot of support. No, and you know what? Like I, 
I could have had all the support in the world had I reached out for it, had I made the appropriate phone calls, had I gone to the the support centres and accepted the help. But I didn't want to, you know. I believed, really, really did that, you know, I was such a mess and I didn't know how to live without alcohol. I didn't know how to live without drugs and I knew that if I accepted help, they'd want me to get off it. Yeah. And that was terrifying. I I would prefer, as I said, I, I all I knew was these ways of coping and I knew if I accepted help, they'd want to take them away from me and I couldn't have that. I'd prefer to just do it on my own. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a... A strange way, a strange mm. way for us, mm. but yeah, the reality is mm. that yeah, that's where you are. Mm. Um, mm. So um, you, um, so you knew alcohol was a problem to you, mm. and you knew you had to stop, mm. but you couldn't get the um, the desire no. and the courage to do that. So something must have changed. So what? What happened that brought you to the point where you realised that you had to do something? So I had my last drink um, on my 17th birthday. There was nothing particularly different about that night. You know, I went out and, you know, I drank too much and picked fights with the security guards and all the things (laughs) that I usually did and, um, you know, blacked out, woke up the next morning in my own vomit, you know, it was all very normal. But for for some reason, um, when I woke up that morning, I remember just looking at the ceiling, just going, I'm done. I'm so done. I can't keep doing this. And it also occurred to me that in a year I could legally walk into any bottle shop and buy as much alcohol as I wanted. And once I realised that, I knew I was done and I knew I had a year to sort myself out. Yeah, yeah, it's our own power that we're scared of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, yes. Um, so how long did it take you from that point to reaching out and getting some help? Well, I'd already been seeing a counsellor um, and I went to a session with her and I just said, look, I this is what happened. I went to... Um, to have one and I couldn't stop and I just explained to her what happened when I drank and at that point she said to me, look, I've got an uncle and he goes to Alcoholics Anonymous and he hasn't picked up a drink and that blew my mind. You know, that there's an alcoholic who's not drinking, that's so weird, like that's what they do. Um, yep, that's the whole purpose in life. <laughs> yeah. Um, she suggested that I go to a meeting. Right. So I did. Yeah. So what was your experience? Um <laughs> I um so I, I didn't have a, a driver's license. I um I caught a tram. I, I'll never forget my first video. I caught a tram to this this meeting um in Armadale and it was on a Thursday morning and you know I remember walking up and down the street so many times because I couldn't find like I assumed it would be in, in like a room that said AA or something. Like I thought it would be a little designated AA centre. And I kept walking past this church going, where's this AA <laughs> meeting? And um, eventually just walked into the church and I'd found it in there. And um, I just remember walking into the room and it was me and maybe four other 80-year-old men. And um, But there was a little dog there and I just sat down and played with the dog. And um, I can't tell you why I stayed. But I did, and I started listening. And what I found was that, you know, these 
80-year-old men knew me better than I knew myself and they could predict what I was going to do before I did it. And that was enough to keep me coming to meetings. Yeah, that's that experience, isn't it? That's mm. yeah, that's mm. being I'm a member of Al-Anon and mm. families of alcoholics and that's what I found that being with people who understand you, they're just mm. like family. Mm. It's like the family mm. you never had. Um, <laughs> exactly. and, and you know, I they're sort of like my aunties, mm. <laughs> these mm. people. And um, yeah, it's a really good feeling knowing that there's somebody who's been in that position before mm. and who understands what you're going through mm. and you can sort of relax mm. knowing that it's it's probably going to be okay because they're okay. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, welcome back to the Living Free Show. Uh, we're on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Okay, um, I'm talking with Molly and we're talking about recovery from alcoholism um, and... Molly's a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and sharing her experience with us. Um, so, Molly, um, you've just realised that you you need to do something about your, your drinking. You've gone into AA. Um, you've realised that they're a lot older than you. <laughs> um, so how did you... What happened next? So it's it's pretty confronting, I guess, mm. having to get somebody who u- uses alcohol to get away from reality, mm. that going to an AA meeting, you have to keep on confronting reality, the mm. fact that drinking is a problem. Mm. So what happens when you first come into AA? When I first came into AA, I, um, I was very reluctant to do anything that was suggested. Um, I I went to one meeting a week and I kind of thought that I'd use it as like a support group but I didn't need to do the steps I didn't need to get a sponsor I didn't need to do any of this stuff and um that lasted for a short amount of time before I got in enough pain to realize that I needed to do what everyone else was doing um you know I got a sponsor and I started on the steps and um that completely changed my life you know I started to realize that you know, I don't drink because I've got this history of all these things that have happened. I don't drink because, you know, I have PTSD or or an eating disorder or any of these things or because I'm a teenager. I drink the way I do because I'm an alcoholic and once I start, I can't stop. You know, I have this allergy and one way or another, I'm going to pick up a drink. So that was very confronting (laughs) to learn because I'd always thought that, you know, I'm entitled to drink because I've had this life. You know, I need to drink like this to cope. And here were all these people saying to me, actually, you know, we don't drink. (laughs) You know, it was confronting. It was terrifying. Um, And it just took me having enough faith to, to just try it, you know, and that's all it was. I was just trying it. And, you know, it was said to me, do it for six months, do it for a year, and if you want to go back and have a drink, go back to your old life. So yep. I just tried it. Yep. And just ate. Yeah. <laughs> Funnily enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one, one of the things that um, once you do stop drinking, mm. you pretty much – confronted with life in real terms and so one of the things is relationships and so have you found that too that you've really got a you can't there's no excuses in relationships anymore and that's what I found that you couldn't 
you couldn't blame someone else. It wasn't someone else's <laughs> fault. It's my fault. If it's not working, it's my fault. Yeah. Uh, How did you find that, just taking responsibility for your own happiness? It took me a little bit. <laughs> I still tried to blame everyone else for a really long time. And it's easy for me to still do that automatically now. And, um, yeah, look, I um, I got into a relationship when I was about six months into my recovery and um, – that was a huge learning experience to me. You know, there was suddenly someone else to consider in my life. You know, it wasn't my actions didn't just affect me. You know, I'd always been someone who was always alone. You know, I didn't let anyone into my life. Even my own family, I kept at arm's length. You know, I didn't I didn't want to get anyone too close because partly because I didn't want them to know anything about me, but also because I knew that I'd screwed up my own life. I didn't want to know what effect I'd have on someone else, you know. Mm. Um so it was very confronting being in a relationship and having having to consider other people around me. But what I found was that, you know, I remove the alcohol and I'm, a, I'm irritable and I lash out at people and I'm more volatile than I am when I'm drinking. Um, but what AA offers me is a new way of living. You know, I went through the steps and by the time I got to around seven or eight, I started to notice changes in my behaviours. You know, I was looking at what I was doing more than what they were doing wrong. And um, I was able to take more responsibility for things. I was starting to change. Yeah. Yeah, It's a good feeling, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's a relief. Um, The thing that I found as well was the ability to – sort of take a step back and look at the situation and mm. to look at my part in the situation mm. as if I was an observer of a play mm. and realise that if I kept on doing this, it was just it mm. wasn't going to end well and so maybe I better think about mm. doing it differently, mm. which, which is, is that thing about taking responsibility. Of, mm. you know, it's up to me. Mm. It's, I can't blame everybody else for my, my not feeling good about the situation. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, and I guess before you stopped drinking, that relationships were just obstacles, weren't they? Yeah. Anyone around me was just people who got in the way of me drinking how I wanted to. But the reality was as well that people were scared of me. You know, my friends couldn't have anything to do with me because I was a horrible person to be around. I was very violent. I was, you know, for for a lot of my drinking as well, I was psychotic and catatonic, so... You know, you could put off a firework in front of my face. I wouldn't flinch. So I I didn't really have people. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, what's it like to be free from the compulsion to drink as an alcoholic? <laughs> <laughs> um, some days it's terrifying. You know, some days I wake up and um, and it's weird. It's weird that... Um, you know, I can, you know, I have these moments where I'll be at work or, or I'll be studying or doing something that really, you know, normal functioning members of society do. And I'll just catch myself and I'll kind of reflect and go, how am I this person? Like, what am I doing? Like, and other days it's just, I don't know, it's something that, um, I mean, it's incredibly freeing and, um, you know, I'm completely confident that I've had very little to do with it. You know, I don't take credit for this freedom from compulsion. Um, 
and you know it's it, that really hits home when I work with other alcoholics and I realize um, I realize you know where they've come from and um, yeah ask me on different days you'll get different answers <laughs> yeah that's good that's good too um yeah so it's it's not a bed of roses though is it no no so no, you still gotta you still gotta confront life's issues yes. and and i guess the fact that because you dropped out of school so early you mm. had a bit of catching up to do yeah yeah i um you know i moved to melbourne when i was 16 um i knew absolutely nobody in the city and um, I rented a little flat on Swanston Street with this little box of a room and it had shared bathrooms and shared kitchens and shared toilets and I'd only leave my room when I needed to go throw up and, you know, I had people knocking on my door to see if I was still alive because they'd just see this <laughs> this little person running down the corridor every couple of hours. Um, but, you know, I had no qualification. I had no job. Um, I was completely unemployable. I was living off Centrelink, living out of home allowance. You know, I I suddenly realised that I was I had this life and I had to actually do something with it. You know, that was extremely confronting. Um, and you know, I I had no idea even what I I liked doing. You know, people used to ask me, "What are your hobbies?" I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> I don't know what I want to do. Like, I'm just always drunk. Like, that's what I do. So suddenly I had to actually figure out, you know, what I wanted to do with my life. It was like being a little kid again. Mm. I had no idea what I was doing. Yep. So what did you do So to get back? Sure. So, so the first thing I did um, was I started, I started re- you know, trying to remember what I used to enjoy when I was little. Um and all I could remember was being a little kid and my mum taking me to the ballet and just sitting there and loving it. And so I started to go to these ballet classes and, um, you know, I started to get kind of good at it and I started to going, you know, most days a week I'd be dancing and um, before I knew it I was auditioning for a ballet school and, you know, for... <laughs> I was, you know, I was 17 at the time and most classically trained ballerinas will start when they're about three. (laughs) So I had a bit of catching up to do. And I remember being in this audition for this prestigious dance school and, um, you know, I met with the director of the school after and she said, you know, you do realise you're quite a bit older than other people auditioning. And I just said to her, look, you know, like I realised that, but I didn't have the classical training. You know, I'm going to dance one way or another. Um, I'd like the opportunity to come here, but, you know, I'm going to keep doing it. Anyway, I ended up studying it full-time at this school. Um, so I just danced five hours a day, six days a week, and that was all I did for probably my first year of recovery was just dancing. And that was enough to kind of get me into a structure and get me finding out more about myself. You know, I'd set a bit of a foundation in AA and from I just went one thing from another till there so I figured out you know what do I want to do but that was the first yeah that was the first thing I did when I got sober was just dancing right I loved it yeah Yeah. well I suppose it must have improved your physical health as well yeah yeah it did yeah Yeah. I hadn't moved in a really long time (laughs) you know I I was very physically ill when I was drinking I spent the majority of my time curled up on the floor um, you know, shaking and with muscle aches and sweating 
And even to be standing up straight, you know, it's taken me years to get my posture right because I was hunched for a lot of my Mm. life. You know, I didn't want to stand up straight. It felt wrong. (laughs) It just felt weird. Uh, yes, it's it's quite funny, isn't it? Yeah. But that's yeah. I guess that's an amazing thing. So I suppose because you were dancing mm. and because you were exercising, mm. you also started eating properly. Is that no? Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> that took a bit longer. Um, you know, for for a little while uh, when I got into recovery, I just had to focus on not drinking. I couldn't address anything else. It mm. was just not picking up a drink, and it was a lot of coffee and a lot of cigarettes. Um, and the occasional Tim Sam at a meeting, and that was about it. You know, it was really all I could handle probably for the first year. And then I started to look at the other areas of my life. You know, I started to seek treatment for my eating disorder and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I don't dance full time today. I still do it casually for fun. But, you know, where that's developed is, um, you know, I work at a gym and I'm starting personal training. So, okay. yeah. you know, I, I don't dance anymore, but. You know, I'm, I've come to this place where I'm still physically moving and it's interesting because it's not from a position of wanting to lose weight or punish my body. It's actually, you know, I walk out of the gym and it's like, what have I been able to do with my body today, you know, because I value it and because I feed it and because I work with it. Yeah. You know, it's very different to yeah. how I used to react with it. Yeah. 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 It's not an encumbrance. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a punishment. No. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Living Free on 3CR Digital Radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm chatting with Molly about alcoholism and recovering from the effects of alcoholism in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, So Molly, you were talking about coming into AA and things, things getting better in your life. So what's life like now for you? that you've, uh, you don't have the compulsion to drink every day and you can sort of lead a pretty normal life. How's yeah. that in comparison to oh, the look, old life? In, in comparison, <laughs> it's completely different. Um, you know, I see family members and people who haven't seen me for years and, and they don't recognise me. Um, you know, I think, you know, I could sit here and I could talk about how I have the job and I'm studying and I have functioning relationships and all this kind of stuff in a house and you know I think at the end of the day I wake up in the morning and you know my head doesn't wake up before I do you know I remember when I was drinking and before I'd even open my eyes my head would be running a million miles an hour you know how are you going to pick up a drink today what are you going to do to get on you know all this stuff and you know I wake up in the morning and there's actually just silence, you know. There's there's nothing in my head. I can think clearly and I can start my day and, um, you know, I go to bed at night not wanting to kill myself, you know. It's, it's those kind of things. Um, you know, I don't have to react violently in situations. You know, people who, who've, um, who didn't know me when I was drinking, if I tell them I was violent, they're shocked, you know. They, they don't think that of me, you know. It's because... I've been given this opportunity of this new way of living and thinking that, um, you know, I don't have to act in those old behaviours, but I think more than anything it's that it's the way I react to life. You know, my life essentially hasn't changed that much. Bad things still happen, but that's okay. You know, I have a way of dealing with them now and I have a way of reacting that, you know, I don't need to go pick up a drink. I'm okay. Mm. 
Yeah, so it's it's not the situation, it's the response to the situation. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 it's being able to cope instead mm. of having to turn to something else. Mm. Um, so what what's life like in AA then? So what sort of things do you get involved in in AA? Sure. So, um, you know, I've had the privilege of literally growing up in AA. You know, yeah. I, I came in when I was 17 and... Um, you know, on the 24th of August, I'll be 22. And on the 25th, I'll be, oh, God willing, I'll be five years sober. So, wow. you know, I, I have literally grown up in the fellowship and I feel so privileged to have, you know, I have my closest friends and what I feel like is my family there. And, you know, I have this opportunity where I can go to a meeting and and um, walk in with my, you know, my hood over my head and my head down and, and people ask me how I'm going and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And they're like, no, you're not. Mm. You know, and I, they know me, you know. Yeah. No one else knows me like that. Um, but I also have the opportunity to be of service to others. You know, every Friday I, um, I go to a women's prison and I um, help run a meeting there in the morning and then sponsor people in the afternoon. Um, you know, I... I have the opportunity to come on programs like this and talk about my alcoholism. You know, I have all these opportunities that, you know, I, I never would have had. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 And sharing your experience is a really good feeling because mm. it's, it's about what really happened to you. You're not making mm. anything up. Mm. And it's really trying to let people know that these things do happen because mm. a lot of people just cannot mm. believe mm. that alcoholics live mm. like that or think like that. And it's a real eye-opener for people to hear mm. an alcoholic talk about being an alcoholic and go, oh, my God, I've never thought of it like that. You know, yeah. And um, imagine not being able to want to have a drink, want to have one drink. But, yeah, it's, it's all or nothing. It's, yeah, yeah. scary. And, and it's the, the funniest thing is that when I tell people my story, the number one thing that people say to me without a doubt is, oh, you don't look like an alcoholic or you don't look like someone who is homeless. That is without a doubt what I always get. And I'm like, what are they supposed to look like? You know, yeah. it's, um, it's really interesting watching how people think it should be. Yeah. So you also mentioned homelessness. Did you want mm. to talk a bit about homelessness? Because I know you think, you know, I think it's an important yeah. issue today. Yeah. I um, Look, I just, you know, I'll never forget um, the looks I used to get, you know, walking down the street and, and being so frail and being drug affected and, and people just looking at me like I was nothing and like they were disgusted at me, you know, and just feeling like you have nowhere to go. It's a terrible feeling, you know. I um, I honestly believed at that time in my life that I was going to die in a gutter somewhere from a drug overdose. Um, and I used to have this fear that um, that no one would find me. You know, I didn't think anyone cared enough to come looking for me. Um, so, you know, I think when, when people think of homelessness, it's thought a lot about, um, just simply the fact they don't have a roof over their head, but it's very different being in the situation and getting those disgusted looks. It's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's horrible. Yeah. Very marginalized. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other one that interests me also is that there must, you must see a lot more young women mm. in AA, I know, from the outside, mm. it appears that way. But mm. are there a lot more people like you coming into AA? Look, I see a lot of, I see a lot of young women come into AA. I don't see a lot of them stay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do see them come in, and I try to share my experience and and do what I can. But 
yeah, I don't. The number of people you come that come in compared to the ones who actually stay and do the steps and get better, you know, there aren't many. No, no, I think it's less than 10% mm. in mm. real terms, yeah. Um, so, you know, what do you say to people who are coming in, you know, about how good it is? You know, what's the sort of <laughs> message that you can share with them? Um, look, I guess, um, I guess in terms of how good it is, I think it's just really, um, you know, I think about what I would have wanted to hear when I was first in AA and I think the thing that I wanted the most was just to be okay, you know, just to feel like um, no matter what happens, I'm looked after and I'm okay and I have somewhere to go and I have people who care about me. And, um, you know, as I said, bad things, you know, situations, stuff still comes up in my life, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I'm all right. Um, I guess, though, um, you know, there's I can share my experience with people who come in. Um, it, at the end of the day, it's really their call if they want to stop drinking or not. No one could make no one could make the decision for me. No, it's a desire, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You've got to you've got to want to do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you can't get someone to do that unless they no. really they've got to reach their rock bottom. They've got to yeah. something's got to have to change yeah. before they're willing to. You know, go to that length of asking for help. <laughs> and I guess asking for help is, is one of the things that is the hardest to do mm. in real terms because you've been so independent, mm. you know, particularly mm. from a young age. Mm. You've just been living on your own mm. wits and then to say, I can't do it on my own anymore, mm. must be hard. It was very hard. Yeah. <laughs> it was very hard and I didn't want to do it. Um, and I, I had been kind of raised to believe that, you know, like if you want something done, you do it yourself, you know. Um, I had been shown time and time again that people let you down, you know, um, and to put my trust in others was, was very, very scary. But, you know, I'd gotten to a point where I didn't really have a choice. You know, it was either I'd do this AA program or I'd go back to drinking and I knew I was going to die if I kept going the way I was going, so... You know, as I said, it was, I'll try this for a year. If I still want to go drink, I'll do that. But, you know, I was in enough pain that I did what was suggested. Yeah. That's good. (laughs) I'm pleased. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's important, I think, to have people, you know, hear the fact that it's very hard to stop drinking. Mm. It's not something that you can just go, oh, yeah, I'll stop drinking. Mm. Because it's a whole, it's a pattern of life. Drinking Mm. is a way of shielding yourself from life Mm. and if you stop drinking the shield drops but nothing else changes Mm. and so you're still really raw and tender underneath Mm. and so yeah it it must be really hard to Mm. and i think stopping drinking is one thing but staying stopped is a whole other story that is the that's the challenge you know when you when you get to that 30 days and your head starts saying that you're different now and you're better you know that's that's the stuff that you know messes you up yeah 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 right um so yeah is there anything else you'd like to sort of say about you know being an alcoholic and oh god i don't know um (laughs) i guess i would just say that um you know i as i said before i'm not an alcoholic because of anything that's happened to me um you know, I have an allergy to alcohol that I react abnormally to other people. You know, my 
I often use the analogy that my brother's allergic to nuts and chocolate. So if we go out for dessert, he'll ask the waiter if there's nuts and chocolate. And if the waiter says yes, he won't have it. You know, I'm allergic to alcohol and I will not only go into a bar and order one, I will get as many into me as physically possible. You know, that's yep. not normal. No. And then essentially that's, that's alcoholism explained to me and I have this mental obsession, I have this physical allergy and at the end of the day, that's all that makes me an alcoholic. You know, once I have one, I can't stop. And so I think for me it's been a lot about as well breaking down that, that stigma of what an alcoholic should be um, as opposed to actually just what it is yeah yeah it's mm. just somebody who has an allergy yeah. yeah yeah pretty much like it's not that complicated <laughs> yeah and if we, yeah. the thing is if, if we treated people with diabetes or cancer yeah. the way we treat alcoholics yeah, it would be <laughs> life would be terrible but again mm. if we treated alcoholics and drug addicts the same way we treat people with with cancer or mm. um, diabetes mm. it would be a lot easier mm. There'd be no social stigma, and I think that's the thing that breaks it down is the fact that we isolate them mm. as much as they isolate themselves. And so it's this really pushing pushing yeah. people apart. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay, well, we're nearly, nearly at the end of the show. Um, one of the things I'd like to do also is to do a shout-out to my friend Vincent, who's in hospital and recovering from an operation. Hope you get better, Vincent. Hope you get home soon. Um, and also we've had some discussion about suicide and sexual assault. So I'll just read out some numbers. If the issues discussed in our show has affected you and you'd like some support, you can call one of the following helpline numbers for suicide prevention, Lifeline on 13114, uh, mental health issues, Beyond Blue, 1300 224 kids issues, kids helpline, one eight hundred. Five five one eight hundred, and parenting support. If you have a child who's an alcoholic, um, and you're struggling with that, uh, the parent line, one three two two eight nine. The other uh, one that people might be interested in too is if if you want to contact Alcoholics Anonymous, if you think AA could help, then you can phone them on one three hundred two 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 two. Or go online to aa.org.au. I'm really grateful that you've come in today, Molly. I'm really pleased to to meet you and talk with you. Um, And it's um, really valuable to hear young voices on the radio talking about overcoming issues like alcoholism. Mm. And um, I think it gives us all a lot of heart that um, things can be a lot better if you realise that you want to do something about your problem. Mm. And I think encouraging people to to take the step, if they want to do it, to try it. You don't have to do it for the rest of your life, as you've said. (laughs) You just have to go, yeah, I'll give it a go, see what it's like. And um, you can see a lot of differences, a lot of improvement. Um, But, yeah, it challenges us all to, you know, to to take responsibility for our happiness. Mm. And... um, and growing up in alcoholic homes, um, growing up with parents or children who are alcoholic, um, is, is really difficult for, for people, and and it's often embarrassing, uh, shameful, and people don't seek help because of those those things. Um, mm. And so, as much as the the alcoholic isolates, the families and the friends don't want to uh, publicise it. In, in some ways to protect the alcoholic, but other ways to protect themselves. 
And so that means that they don't get treated as well. And, um, and I think that's a real shame. But, yeah, I, I, as I said, I'd like to thank you for coming in and for sharing your story and for you know, just letting people know that there is help mm. and that, um, that your people like you are out there who've done it, who mm. are success stories and who are enjoying life you know, in, mm. in the fast lane you know, mm. instead of, um, of alcoholism. Mm, okay. Thanks, um, well, we're just about up to time. Um, I'll just finish off the show. Um, so that's all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Molly for sharing her AA recovery experience with us. Thank you. Um, I hope that you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about more about recovery from drugs and alcohol with guests again from Alcoholics Anonymous who will share their experience with alcoholism and how AA has helped them. Uh, if you'd like to stay tuned now um, to Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee, and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sports, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks again for listening to um, Living Free.